Hey, everybody. Welcome to Passing Judgment, a podcast about politics and the law and a lot of things in between. I'm your host, Loyola Law School professor Jessica Levinson. And today we're going to be talking about the tragedy that occurred on the set of the movie Rust. The cinematographer on the movie, Helena Hutchins, was shot and killed by Alec Baldwin, the film's star and producer. Baldwin has said that he didn't pull the trigger, but a forensic report indicates that the trigger had to have been pulled for the gun to fire. Now, Joe is going to bring you a wonderful conversation he had with an armorer, and I'm going to kick things off by laying the groundwork here and giving you a quick legal explanation. The big legal news here is that Alec Baldwin has been charged with involuntary manslaughter. Reporting indicates that when Baldwin was handed the gun, he was told that there was not live ammunition in the gun. There are still lots of questions about how live ammunition made it onto the set and into the gun handed to Baldwin. The armorer on the set, Hannah Gutierrez-Reed, said that she didn't know how this happened, and she has also been charged with involuntary manslaughter. Now, there were apparently numerous safety issues on the set, Rust Movie Productions was fined the maximum amount by New Mexico's Occupational Health and Safety Bureau. There was also, of course, an investigation by the Santa Fe County Sheriff, and the sheriff has said there was, quote, a degree of neglect on the film set. Now, nobody thinks this was an intentional killing. New Mexico's Office of the Medical Investigator has determined that the shooting was an accident. So, Let's talk about what's happening here legally, and let's talk a little bit more about the involuntary manslaughter charge. Involuntary manslaughter is the unintentional killing of somebody while committing a misdemeanor criminal offense. Involuntary manslaughter can occur, for instance, and I'm looking at the New Mexico statute here, if a person is engaging in a lawful act but unintentionally kills a person by being negligent or not exercising due care. And that's really what we're looking at here, whether or not all of the safety issues on the set, all the issues surrounding how the guns were handled, whether or not that means that there was negligence and a failure to exercise due care. What are the potential punishments here? Involuntary manslaughter is a fourth-degree felony with sentencing up to 18 months in prison and probation. This is really the highest possible charge that could have been brought in this particular case. So we're going to have to follow and see what happens as the cases progress. I hope this gives you some helpful background and really allows you to lead into this conversation that Joe has. I think it's a great conversation, and I hope you enjoy it. In order to learn a bit about onset firearms protocols, we have invited an expert in this field. Joey Dillon is an armorer, gun trainer, gunfight choreographer, and assistant prop master who has handled prop weapons on movies like The Coen Brothers, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, and Hail Caesar, as well as The Call of the Wild, The Harder They Fall, and television programs like HBO's Westworld. Thank you very much for taking the time to join us today, Joey. You're welcome. Happy to uh, clarify some things. Yeah, fantastic. I've been looking forward to this conversation for a while now. 
I'd like to open by saying that these kinds of incidents are incredibly rare, especially when one considers how many movies and television productions use guns on screen. We've got cop shows, war movies, war miniseries, science fiction and superhero franchises with extensive gunplay, and the list is nearly endless. And before the Baldwin case, the most famous fatality involving a gun on set was that of actor Brandon Lee, who died after a gun that was loaded with blanks discharged on the set of the movie The Crow in March of 1993. So, Joey, in the midst of this recent tragedy, whose responsibility is it to check that prop weapons are safe to be used on set? Well, there's a a variety of responsible parties. Ultimately, there's one person that wears the ultimate title of armorer, and that's what you're there for to ensure the safe handling as well as the proper handling in context of the show or, or what era it is and getting the actors and actresses trained up and looking good with the guns. So uh, the armorer is the main person, but also the first AD is, uh, I almost feel equally responsible for safety on set, but he or she unfortunately has to cover all department. So that assistant director is looking over the shoulder of stunts, of the armorer, of everything to make sure it's a safe working environment for everybody. So they may not be necessarily an expert of the guns or the stunts, Mm -hmm. but they're supposed to keep tabs and make sure everybody's uh, doing the right thing. So they're looking over my shoulder. I don't hand out any weapons. I don't do anything with dummy rounds or blanks or anything without cluing in the assistant director to what we're doing or being asked, you know, now's the time to load up Joey or, you know, let's take a look at this gun or let's clear the weapons. Let's talk to the background players or whatever we got to do. So they're sort of the manager. So they wear a lot of responsibility as well. Also the prop master is the head of the prop department where the armorer works. So they are my immediate boss and in charge Mm. of, vetting me and looking over my shoulder and making sure their person that they're bringing on set in their department knows what they're doing. So they wear a lot of responsibility as well. They also are in charge of having a truck and how the ammo and the dummy rounds and the guns and everything are stored in the safe or in the containers and different things. So the organization of all that stuff, a lot of times as an armorer, you're working out of someone else's truck basically for those that have been on a film set there's semi trailers uh for a lot of the departments the prop department has a huge trailer and then sometimes we run out of a shorty like sort of like a u-haul type truck if Uh it's uh, more of a remote location so we load things onto the smaller truck but the guns are in safes the blanks are locked up in special uh bins or containers and it's very organized so Uh A prop master should know whether the armorer is doing a good job or not by their past experience of using other ones or having facilitated weapons. Because in this industry, if there's no gunfire happening and there's not a lot going on with the weapons, a lot of times the prop master and or the assistant props personnel will facilitate the use of the gun as just a prop. But if it starts having to fire or if there's special handling, then they'll bring in an expert like myself. In the older days, there wasn't much for armors, just the prop guy or the um, female or or the prop master just did it themselves. It was just part of their repertoire and they handled it. But these days, you know, there's people specifically responsible for it. So you have myself, the assistant prop master, the first AD as in my opinion, all really responsible for the weaponry 
but ultimately, you know, one person wears the badge of armor and that'd be yeah. myself or the person on okay. set. Now, beyond that, the producers, the producers are in charge of hiring good people and vetting them and looking at their experience as well. So they're also responsible for safety on that set. So what you're saying is that ultimately it's you or someone like you who are doing all these things. So, but can you put us onto a movie set, like an average day for you, if there is such a thing? So in other words, just tell me a little bit about your job. When you show up on a set, how does it go? Sure. So uh, I'm unique in that my specialty lies in the Western. I mean, I do all genres, but because of my quick draw and gun spinning capabilities, it's what gets me on a lot of Westerns. So a couple of the Westerns you named, I was there to train the actor to look good with the gun with some of the quick draw and the tricks uh, when there was still somebody handling as an armor, but I was there as the trainer. On the, a lot of the other titles you mentioned, I was the legitimate armor in charge of both training and armoring. But maybe I come to work early. I pull the weapons out of the safe, load them into my rolling cart that has a lock box and lock cables to lock everything down. I pull any ammo we might need that day as far as the blanks go and put that in certain bins on my cart. And then I have my toolkit and everything that comes with me. We roll out to set. Uh, we may watch uh, the actors and actresses and do a rehearsal with rubber weapons uh, if, if I'm not able to get there in time because I'm still loading up or if there are um, no need, they might just point fingers. But uh, sometimes mm -hmm. we, we do try to get the rubber weapons out there, the, the stunt stuff when possible to go through it. By then, depending on the scene, generally I've already had a uh, meeting with the actor or actress to go over the weapon and do some training. Sometimes they're super experienced when they come to the table and the scene isn't that complicated. So it might be that after rehearsal, they step aside with me and I go over everything and it's pretty easy for them to understand what they got to do. So there's not a lot of training involved if they're already uh, have a lot of experience and it's not a very complicated scene. So then uh, they'll set up lighting and wire up the actors and actresses and get everything set for the scene. Uh, then we might do another rehearsal. I might have to worry about distances of where they're shooting the blank so that there's proper distance in front of the weapons or a proper distance to the side of the weapons where the shell may be ejecting on modern firearms, uh, the spent casing. Right. If we're going to, let's say, do it cold, then I pull the weapons out. Let's say we're on a Western. Okay, let's take it back to that. Uh, I'll pull the weapons out. I'll go up to the first AD, say, here, I'm going to give this to so-and-so. He'll see that all the chambers are empty. I'll roll through all of them. I'll go up to the person I need to give the weapon to. I will physically show them that all the chambers are empty, cold weapon. These days, we're a lot louder about it. I'll invite anybody that wants to see this gun, come on over and check it out. And then I'll, if the gun is going to come out of the holster or come out and be brandished wherever it is pointing, I will go over and show those people, hey, this will be pointing at you in the scene. Look, it's completely empty. Sometimes you get it all set up and then when we start to roll, you'll realize, okay, now the boom operator or camera operator also in front of that gun. And depending on how close they are to it being muzzle swept, I'll actually grab the gun from the actor and just go show them so that they can see it as well. But generally speaking, they have heard and seen our big commotion of checking the gun with the AD. Uh, in the older days, it might've been a little bit quieter, but these days I try to make it a lot louder so that everybody knows this thing's being checked. And uh, let's say the gun's coming out in the sense of a Western, it's revolvers. You can tell on camera if the gun is loaded or not because you can see the front of the cylinder and even from the side of the cylinder, whether there's mm -hmm. the lead in the front or the brass on the side visually. So I'll take some dummy rounds and I will, depending on what they are, they come from the prop house and they're loaded with a fake primer in back primer being the small cap that ignites the gunpowder of a live round. Uh, it's a fake primer and inside there's no gunpowder. 
and then you have the lead tip, which is the actual bullet that comes out. Now, in lieu of the gunpowder, in the hollow chamber, there's a single BB that rattles when you shake the round. So I've physically shown everybody that the gun is empty under the watchful eye of the first city who has also checked it. And in a lot of instances, the stunt coordinator will also look over my shoulder, make sure the gun is empty and that sort of thing. If we have to load blanks for the scene, we'll go hot, as they say. I'll explain what load the blanks are, and then we'll load those in the gun and uh, tell the actor or actress that we're going hot with the weapon, quarter load, half load, full load, or whatever it is, how many rounds. And then uh, we'll do the scene and again, making sure that there's safety distances uh, around the weapon to shoot the blanks safely. And at the end of the day, you know, once the weapon has been discharged on set or the end of the scene, for example, the gun gets returned to you, you do the reverse process and lock everything back up, I'm assuming, correct? Yeah, yeah. So when the scene's over, I'll retrieve the weapons, obviously clear the chambers again, and then throw them in my lockbox. And at the end of the day, they go back in the safe on the truck. Okay, Or or back to the prop house where I rented them if it's a special one-off weapon where I pulled it out for the day. Okay, great. Thank you, Joey. Now, I want to clarify something here. For listeners who have never handled a prop gun, or honestly, a real gun for that matter, or they've never been in a movie set, what is the appreciable difference between a gun used during filming and a real gun that you can take out to a range and shoot live bullets? Is there any difference? Sure. There are some differences between the weapons on set and the weapons you use in a normal firearm situation. Uh, in, in some cases, we or others do use airsoft replicas or just straight up replicas if they look good. And then they digitally put in a lot of the muzzle flash and things. A lot of cases, though, we are using real firearms and a lot of them have been modified for the screen. Uh, I would say that most antique firearms, so in a Western specifically, there's not much modification, if any, needed. So you're shooting the same thing you would put a live round through. In a, a modern situation, where the guns are semi-automatic or even fully automatic, they operate in real life by back pressure, generally speaking, or in some cases recoil. But when the bullet is escaping out that barrel, it's creating back pressure in the barrel and chamber of all the gases expanding before the bullet has left the end of the muzzle. And that allows the gun to auto cycle and automatically load the next round. Now that doesn't work with a blank, both in the recoil situation or you know, there's no bullet leaving the gun to create back pressure behind. So what they do is they tap with threads the inner diameter of the end of the muzzle, and they actually screw in a plug. And the, each plug will have a different small hole drilled in the center per the blank load, whether it's a quarter mm-hmm. load, small hole, full load, bigger hole. In in some rare cases, when we have to be very close to people with the blank firing, we'll do an actual solid plug to where it's completely plugged, loctited in, and the gun would sooner blow up than blow the plug out if you were to, for some reason, you know, way overload it. But those particular instances, we get very critical on how things are stored. They take a very special blank for the solid plug stuff. But those guns are modified with that plug in there. And if you were to put a live round through it, you would definitely ruin the gun. And And I don't even know how far forward the live round would go. I've never tried anything like that. And I won't. But um, but yeah, those so those are modified to to just shoot blanks. Okay. So now we've talked a little bit about the guns and the differences between those, you know, prop guns with a real gun. Now let's talk about the bullets a little bit. Sure. You've touched upon this a little bit in our conversation so far. Do prop bullets or blanks, as they are commonly known to those of us who don't work in the industry, do they appear visually distinct from live ammunition? You know, a professional like yourself or a professional person who works in a gun range might be able to tell them apart, but could a casual observer who's not trained in gunplay be able to tell the difference between, I'm using the term blank, 
and real live ammo? Sure. So I would say you can't mistake a live functioning cartridge versus a blank without physically inspecting it. You could confuse a live round with a what we call dummy round. So okay, yeah, that's so, a key phrase there. Thank yeah. You. So for those out there, you have a brass cartridge that holds the gunpowder. You have a primer in the back of the cartridge, that little round cap that ignites the gunpowder, and you have the bullet, which is the tip. So we should say cartridge is the entire enchilada, so to say, and then the bullet is just the part that comes out of the muzzle when you fire the gun, and then you're left with an empty spent shell or cartridge. So a blank and the mo- most modern blanks have the brass cartridge holding the gunpowder and a live primer, but the front, rather than having a lead or a copper projectile, is actually crimped. So it's just the brass folded to a slight point so that when you fire the gun, the front of the blank just opens up like a flower, and then you just have the discharge of gas and burnt powder. Again, you don't want to be up close to that. That's still dangerous, but at, at safe distances, there's no projectile. In older blanks, in some rare cases still today, you might have a wad that holds the powder in versus crimping the front of the blank, and that mm-hmm. wad just disintegrates when the thing goes off. Now let's go to dummy rounds. On a Western, there's dummy rounds everywhere because everybody's got a gun belt on, and there's dummy rounds all the way around their gun belt, and you're using handguns that require the use of dummy rounds to look loaded. Modern guns with a magazine full of rounds, you'll never see it, so you don't have to load anything in there. For the most part, in a Western, you got to see all these dummy rounds. Or if we're in a movie, modern or otherwise, and they're loading on camera, you'll tell if it's a blank or not. So you'll see them loading a fake dummy round in the gun. Now, these have a BB inside instead of gunpowder that rattles when you shake it. So I have to shake each and every one to hear that rattle to know it's not real. If it was silent, I would immediately call it suspect. The first AD, he or she will actually shake each one we're going to use. And we'll also do that in front of the actor. I add another step. I know others do too, to where especially if the dummy round is going in the gun so it looks loaded, uh, I'll actually point it at the ground and I'll pull the hammer back and pull the trigger and try to fire it more times than the amount of dummy rounds it holds in, in front of all the involved parties of the scene because sometimes I can explain why it's a dummy round, but the background artists or other people, they just want to see you pull the trigger and see nothing happen. And that's the ultimate test. So you try to shoot it, nothing happens. So sometimes you don't have to re-rattle the thing in front of everybody where you could just point it at the ground and try to fire it over and over and over. Now, when you do that, the firing pin, which is what hits the primer and ignites the gunpowder, if it were a blank or a live round, that dimples the back of the primer when it strikes it. So sometimes when you're using used dummy rounds that have been through a gun, you'll see that the primer has already been struck. And that's another easy indicator that this is not real or it would have already gone off. And if you're doing an on-camera loading scene, you don't want to see the primer having been struck yet. So, right. um, But in a lot of cases, if I don't have to see the back of the round, I'll hit the primer so that everybody can tell nothing's going to happen. On top of that, some of us, and this is pre-Baldwin, we've just started doing this for extra safety and to move quicker through the safety check. So if I have a revolver with six rounds, I have to take each one out, uh, or I should say I check them before they go in, but let's say someone else showed up to the scene. Now I want to take each one out and rattle it for them. Well, if I have a 
cartridge with no primer on the back. So there's an actual vacant hole through the back of the cartridge where the firing pin would normally strike the primer. Now there's a hole. There can't possibly be powder. There doesn't even need to be a BB inside. So I can just roll the cylinder while they look down at it and they can see the back of every cartridge is actually void of any ignition device or gunpowder. Then you don't have to take them out and even rattle them for the first city or anybody. I can just be like, look, and whiz through them. And that speeds up our day and makes it a whole lot safer because it can't possibly be real at that point. Yeah, I, I know enough. I grew up shooting guns with my father. So I know enough about the mechanics of firearms to know that that certainly makes your job at least a lot smoother or simpler when you're dealing with revolvers because you could theoretically keep pulling the trigger and it would advance the cylinder yeah essentially into perpetuity <laughs> because it's yeah. just going to keep going in a circle as opposed to a gun that uses a magazine or a clip as some people say that loads underneath like you see yeah. like an assault weapon or the more modern pistols that you see that people have so you know i think there's a lot of misinformation in the world about guns and how they're used i mean i see this in the news media a lot when people talk and this is separate from our conversation but when people talk about fully automatic weapons versus semi-automatic weapons and the distinctions between the two uh so i just wanted to kind of clarify that point a little bit sure that's important to note i don't love talking about this tragedy because it's everybody's worst nightmare in my field and it just strikes you know too close to home yeah. being in this industry but I am answering the call to do interviews and talk because I have seen what people have come on when I say no, let's say, uh, and they're not experts in this field. They may be a gun expert, but not an onset right. expert. And the things right. they say are, are frustrating. So here I am to defend and explain what we do. Yeah. Well, and thank you for doing so. I, I sure. very much appreciate you taking the time to do it because I think clarification is very, very important. Yeah. Uh, and we talk, you know, so before you mentioned the phrase hot gun, and I know that in researching this particular Baldwin case, uh, we heard the phrase cold gun a lot in terms of the assistant director saying that on the set. Now, this isn't specifically about Russ, that movie, but when sure. someone says that phrase cold gun on a set, can you please explain what that means? Sure. And that might be the first AD and or myself yelling out cold weapon as it's just been checked. So when we say cold weapon, it means it has physically been checked to show that there are no live rounds and there are no blanks in it. And that if the trigger is pulled, that there will be no noise and nothing going off. Now we add to that sometimes cold weapon, dummy rounds, so that people know, okay, it's cold, but if you happen to see that, wait a minute, there's something in the chamber, you know also that there are dummy rounds that have also been checked. And again, uh, like I said, these days, especially myself, and I know some other armors are much more vocal about any of these checks on set because we want people to hear that it's happening, not just trust that it did happen. Okay, Joey, let's move this conversation along just a little bit here. Sure. I, I, I know, you know, I, I live in a Los Angeles area. I have a lot of friends who work in the movie industry. And I know you kind of already addressed this a little bit, but I'd like to just kind of clarify for people to keep things a little simpler. I know enough about the sets to know that movie and TV sets can be very, very high stress environments. There are long hours, sometimes exotic locations. People are getting tons of sleep. Their budgets might be slim and getting slimmer. And there are some very, very huge egos wandering around. So all of these things taken together, you know, make your job more complicated dealing with dangerous weapons or weapons that could potentially be dangerous. So how does someone with, you know, your job maintain a modicum of safety in a pressure cooker workplace like that? I know you mentioned this a little bit, but what kind of safety checks are there? Sure, sure. So I think, and I've said this to others, that, that one of the biggest hurdles to being a really good armorer or perhaps even stunt coordinator or anything else, when you enter this industry, it's a 
huge animal that can be very intimidating to see 50, 75, 100 people buzzing around and not wanting to stop that machine and have everybody question you or look at you for something. And you don't want to look stupid for doing it. You don't want to offend any of the egos and all that stuff. You need to get to a point where you have such self-confidence in why you're there and what you're doing to where it won't bother you to ruin a take, to stop all the cameras, to step out and be, wait, wait, no, no, no. Or to tell producers or directors or anybody, no, we can't do that. So I worked underneath people as I grew up in this industry and thankfully was mentored by some good people and helped develop that. But I know it was tough for me at certain times without feeling very awkward, you know, to step out and be like, no, I, I don't feel comfortable doing that and having a director very angry at me and then feeling happy that in the end that I did that because it showed like I'm willing to stand up and say, no, I don't want you to point the gun that close to a background artist and pop off a quarter load. You know, she's looking at me with wide eyes. I'm like, no, I'm not going to let that happen. So getting to the point where you can stop it and not afraid to do so is I think the biggest thing to overcome because like you said, they are rushing you and there's a lot of stress and a lot of egos. There was a guy uh, recently in an article that you know mentioned that it's tough to tell you know A-list actors no because you don't want to embarrass them. And so you, you just don't do it. And I do. I tell them no. Like, yeah. don't, don't make it sound like we don't and that we're keeping people dangerous for fear of infuriating right. an A-list actor. So you need to stand up and just be loud. And if people don't like it, so what? That's why you're there. Okay, Joey. So now exemplified by the situation with Baldwin and Hutchins, obviously this is a life and death situation, or at least potentially a life and death situation that we're dealing with here. So in that spirit, you know, you've talked a lot about your background. You've talked a lot about the safety checks. The next question I have is, are there certifications for people like you? Is there some kind of certification that says that you are trained in gunplay, you are trained in weapons and to be an armor or what? I just don't really don't know. Sure. So uh, let's just take me for instance. So uh, I have an entertainment firearms permit. California requires those. Other states do not. That does require you getting fingerprinted and going through a, a little bit of a hurdle, but it's not a very big hurdle. Uh, anybody can take the time to get that, uh, but that does allow you to operate uh, in a prop capacity or, or an armor capacity with a lot of uh, standard weapons in order to do machine guns, uh, short-barreled shotguns and other dangerous weapons like that, that requires a very long two to three year process of paperwork and background checks and people interviewing your neighbors and on and on and on to make sure you're uh, okay to get that. Now that allows you to rent and bring to set those weapons. But as far as the facilitation and use of those on set in a safe manner, that I would say uh, falls under training. And that comes from working with other experienced professionals that train you. So I may be props on a show, but I may be working underneath a really great armorer. And so that is giving you a lot of the experience also being in the union. So uh, the union itself, uh, there's safety videos and safety courses that we take. In COVID now, a lot of it's online. Um, but for a while, every year or every two years, depending on, on which course you are required to take safety courses, one of them being firearm safety on set. And they teach stuff that's just awesome and very worthwhile. So if you're hiring a union individual, chances are that they've gone through some of that training. Also, the prop houses, there's only a few of the big ones that rent a lot of these guns out to the industry and they vet whoever they send out. So if they're 
saying good things about the people that they will allow to take care of their stuff and facilitate it on set, then you've passed the muster with them as far as what they would like you to know and how they would like you to behave on set. So there's some training, I should say, involved in just rubbing shoulders with and working with some of the prop houses that put this stuff out. But in short, there's the Entertainment Firearms Permit in California. There's also the Dangerous Weapons Permit if you're doing any of the more uh, regulated uh, illegal firearms, I I guess, uh, and then um, the union training. Okay. And let me echo what I said before, which was to add to your point, this is a very entrenched industry. They've been making movies for a hundred plus years now, and they've been using guns all the way along. These types of incidents are incredibly rare. So Joey, this is my penultimate question, but maybe my biggest question for this, which is, you know, we've seen what happened with Baldwin and Hutchins on the set of Rust. You work on movie sets every day. This is just a general question, but is it commonplace for there to be real bullets on a movie or television set? Yeah, live ammo is almost never heard of or on a professional movie set. There might be very few exceptions, those being certain cable shows where they're actually on the range shooting targets and extremely rare situations. I have heard of very controlled sets and environments and rural locations where it was a film, a theatrical production, but they wanted the targets to hit be hit by actual bullets. And in that case, there was so much safety going on. I had heard it was crazy. I have not had to facilitate that yet. And I'm not necessarily eager to do it, but coming across or finding live ammo is almost non-existent. The only other thing I can think of again is if it's an unprofessional, not a real movie set, uh, or if you're out on, uh, I guess the last time I, I had a live round in my hand while professionally working was just because we happened to be filming in a spot that was normally a place where people go out in the woods and target practice. So someone found one on the ground and handed it to me and I disposed of it. Otherwise, it's a shock to hear anything like that. Yeah, there are certainly are situations now that everyone has basically an ad hoc movie camera in their pocket with their smartphone. We have all, you know, there's obviously no regulation for what anybody's doing in their backyard or driving out to the desert or God only knows what. But what you're talking about in your job and the function of your job is very, very formal, many, many safety checks. Yeah. uh, And, you know, and careers worth of experiences in doing this. And let me tell you, Joey, just on a personal level, thinking about having live ammo on a movie set or a television set raises my blood pressure just thinking about it. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that you you and your colleagues take these things very, very seriously. If a live round showed up on a prop truck or on a prop cart or anything, okay, we don't just visually grab whatever that we have and start using it. So we, nothing comes out to set until it's passed the test of this being a dummy round. So, you know, even if something was shown up for some weird reason in someone's inventory. Like it doesn't go into the gun belt before it's shaken and hear that BB. It doesn't go out on my gun cart until that happens. So even if something somehow in weird scenario snuck out, they are checked and rechecked before usage. So it's not like they just go into circulation and never checked again. I think it's important to note that Yeah, it's a very important point of clarification. And now, Joey, as someone who works in the audio realm, I'm imagining nightmares from the audio people hearing a cowboy rattle around with two or three (laughs) dozen BBs in their belt. Well, yeah, they're shaking around. Yep. In this industry, we try to follow the golden rules of gun safety, but we break them all the time, but not without a lot of rigorous safety protocol. So anyone out there that says we don't point guns at other people that we aim off 
aren't a real armorer and have a day job or they're just lying. We try to aim off when we shoot blanks just for uh, some reasons we, you know, I don't need to get into, but we, we try to cheat off to the side when we can. But as far as cold weapons to tell a story of a gun to someone's back, a Nazi pointing a gun to someone's head, five guys robbing a busy bank, waving their guns around, telling everybody to get on the floor. You don't film those scenes realistically without muzzle sweeping somebody or, you know, the 50 to 75 crew hiding behind three cameras as people are waving cold weapons around. We do it safely. We've done it safely, as you have said, for many, many years. Um, but I think it's important to note that in this industry, I hate to get into specifics of the rusting, but Baldwin pulling out his gun and pointing towards camera or those behind camera is not unusual. I've done that exact thing with actors many times. And of course, we've shown the actor and the crew that the gun was empty in that situation, but that was not reckless. Uh, also, people should note that on modern firearms with the FBI or police or whatever else, you have that additional safety where your finger is straight on the side of the weapon and a Western that looks weird. You put your finger in the trigger guard. You're not supposed to touch the trigger, but some actors in their haste will cock the hammer back. And in these guns, you know, pull the trigger. Nothing happens until you first pull the hammer back, then pull the trigger. But it's easy for actors to let slip the hammer because they're accidentally, when they pull the gun out in their quick draw, they're pulling the trigger the whole time. They don't even know it. So that to me is like, well, you didn't consciously pull the trigger, but you never stop pulling the trigger. I have actors and actresses in the heat of their scene pull their gun and accidentally drop the hammer quite a bit, again, because their finger's already there, not like a modern gun, not unusual. So everything that I have heard is not necessarily reckless or unusual. It's not like he was joking around with his gun between scenes and he pulled it when he shouldn't. He wasn't a crafty, waving it all over the place, scaring people. Uh, he did exactly as he was instructed to do per the camera angle. And it's an extremely common camera angle. Um, he just should have been shown it was empty. He put a lot of trust in a department and I'm happy to get that trust when I'm on a set. I would also add for those that I have debated out there, you know, it's a gun. You always check your own gun. There's actors that say, I always check my own weapon. I say, that's great. But when I hand you a machine gun, it's easy for you to pull the bolt back and say, yeah, it's cold. I see it's cold. When we go hot and I pull out a 30 round magazine full of blanks and put that in your weapon and then they call cut and I have to run out with another one. And perhaps there's 10 guys out there with 30 round magazines and myself and another guy are running out between scenes to reload you with another magazine, we might go through a few thousand rounds. Did you check those? How do you know what I'm putting in your gun? At that point, you're trusting the armor that he's putting only blanks in your gun and that they are what he says they are. So for those out there that say they always know, they're leaving out the fact that when you're shooting blanks, you're completely trusting me. And at that point, that shows a level of trust and a level of not knowing what's in your weapon. I'll also state for those out there that are just like guns in his hand and he pulled the trigger, he's at fault. On a movie set, it is just not the same as a range situation or cleaning your gun at home situation. It's completely different. And there are departments and charges of safety, whether it's stunts or picture cars or myself that have done it safely for all of these years. And I would further note for people to just go, you know, unfortunately there's lists out there of mortalities and injuries in the film industry. But as you said, the gun injuries and deaths are extremely rare. Helicopters have killed over 30 something people in the last three decades uh, in film and television and commercial. And no one's crying to stop using those and just do VFX. Things can be done well and be done safely. 
our protocols haven't changed. We might be more vocal about them, but nothing needs to change because everything is extremely safe. It's just this whole tragedy is what happens when you don't follow already well-adhered to protocols. All of this to say that there are multiple, not just people between the gun cart and the film set, but there are multiple teams of people in those places, correct? That's it. And now, Joey, lastly, before I let you go, there's been talk about this in the aftermath of this situation, and it certainly impacts your job and impacts the way movies will look on screen. But do you think that in the aftermath of this tragedy, there are going to be changes about how guns are handled in film and television production? And then what I mean by that is, you know, I've read cases of at least one petition to have gunshots, even with blanks or dummy loads, whatever you call them, to have them completely banned and have muzzle flashes and things like that added digitally in post-production. Like we see fire that way a lot nowadays. Do you think there are going to be changes like that now? Well, the industry certainly has changed already, and uh, there is a lot of productions, if they're using real weapons, not using blanks, because the first news that came out was that it was some sort of weird blank accidental discharge, and suddenly everybody stopped blanks because they didn't talk to people like myself, who right away said, this is a live round situation, and also we're not unsafe with our blanks here on this set. Um, so. There's a lot of people not using blanks anymore and just doing the VFX. The VFX has come a long way. And also people are noticing how quickly you can get through the scenes if you don't have to worry about eye and ear protection for people uh, or flesh colored ear protection for the actors and actresses or safety distances. So from an efficiency standpoint, it makes sense a lot of times to run through and do it without blanks. You won't get some of the movement of the gun if you can find a really nice a replica airsoft sometimes you can still get the mechanical parts moving of the gun but i think there's something to be said for the efficiency part of it however for the actors and the feel of the scene i think there's sometimes when it's still relevant to use something that goes bang to give everybody that respect and that feel of tenseness that's difficult to create uh, without actually doing it or, or the way the the uh, environment or maybe let's say horses in the distance looking up or things like that but everybody's gun shy we're slowly getting back to some gunfire. Uh, it's been a slow road back. I think it'll always be stunted because of this. But unfortunately, there's a lot of misinformation out there. And again, blanks aren't the problem. It was a live round situation. I like to add that if Russ was a no blank show, they're still putting dummy rounds in the gun. That's something I've said where I've been on shows that aren't wanting to shoot blanks. But I'm like, well, we're still using safely dummy rounds in the gun so you're trying to give everybody a sense of warm happy fuzzies that we're not shooting blanks but you're doing so in a way that is in my opinion fraudulent <laughs> and so i just think if people took the time to understand what how it works what we're doing they, they would go back to blanks more but yeah it is a big change since since the incident joey thank you very much for taking the time to talk with us today i think this has been a very very important conversation to have about this you're welcome so many thanks to Joey Dillon for joining us for this conversation. Also to Jessica for that stellar legal analysis at the top of this particular show. You can follow her across social media at Levinson Jessica. You can follow me at Day. That's I-N-D-E-P-D-A-Y as well as JoeArmstrong.com. As always, please listen, rate, review. We love to hear from our listeners. Have a great day, everyone.